everybody, and welcome back to the Rogue Grounds Podcast with Kyle from Stall Agronomy. And today we have a guest, Jeremy Miner, a technical agronomist with Channel Seed in eastern Iowa. Listen as Jeremy and I talk about 2020 growing season, the do ratio, and its effects on actually him and me, and uh, just kind of almost life in general. So listen in as we talk about all these topics and more. We got Jeremy Miner here. So Jeremy is from Channel, and I'm from Pioneer, so we hate each other like naturally, right? <laughs> uh, sure, we're sworn enemies. You bet. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I have a pretty decent relationship. Um, I've got a friend who's a channel rep in Wisconsin, and then um, I've got a couple other guys that I know that are channel reps. And now, yeah, I mean, it, it's that's like the thing. Everybody thinks the seed dealers all hate each other. <laughs> Our seed companies, like we all don't like each other, and it's like most of us get along. Um, yeah. I think I had Angie on the podcast, and Angie was talking about that. And Angie's like, You guys hold grudges against each other? And I'm like, Not really. It's not like it's apparently green merchandising. Everybody hates each other or something. <laughs> it's like agronomy, we don't do that. Every, right. Every business, I'm sure, has their own little tweaks and stuff like that so no hey by the end of this we could be uh we could i could put you in my phone we could have a, a good relationship here man yeah oh yeah i got um actually picked up uh i don't know if you'll probably get over far enough for this uh but my sway wagon came from um colfax actually so oh, yeah colfax and pick up a way wagon from johnny mac john mclaughlin over there so yeah um i have like no idea what your career background is so you'll have to like fill me in on that because i have other than what like you've posted on Twitter, like we DM and like tweet each other like all the time, but I have yeah. no clue what your career background is. So like, what is your career background? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically I've got uh, between Asgrove Seed Company, Monsanto slash Bayer Crop Science, I've got 22 years in this year with that company. Okay. Um, I, I started right out of college. I got my degree in 1998 from, uh, from Iowa State in agronomy. I started off, and, and you know, that was about the time Monsanto started buying up um, the smaller seed companies and the larger seed companies, Asgard Calps and all that. Um, so I started in uh, foundation seed production, and I started in East Central Iowa around Anamosa, uh, Anamosa, Iowa. And then actually within a year, a little over a year, I had to move to Illinois and uh, was in a DeKalb foundation seed facility there for like 11 months, and then moved back to Iowa in a different group. Um, actually called pre-foundation. So um, just a background on pre-foundation corn, they would take the parents that uh, breeders were developing. We would basically clean up all of the junk. We would plant everything out ear to row, throw away the individual ear sources that were junk, and then bulk everything else up and give it to foundation. So the goal was there to amplify and purify. So we did that. Um, I was in that group from basically 2000 to uh that would have been September of 2014 and uh, had a chance to come to the commercial side and be a, an agronomist. I had a friend who was a regional agronomy lead and uh, yeah, there was just happened to be an opening there. I was actually um, almost six years with, uh, or five years, I guess, with Kruger Seeds, which would be one of Bear Crop Science's regional brands that sells only in Iowa. And then just actually within the past couple of months here, June 1st, I, I uh, switched to the channel brand. So to get some national brand experience, so um, made the rounds, but uh, with the same company. So yeah, and I've I've kind of short version. Yeah, and I've jumped all over the place. So like when I when I was in college, I got so I grew up right next to a Pioneer production plant in Plymouth, Indiana. So sure. I I started out like as a summer job, and then I transferred from I was going to be a teacher at one point, which was like the world's worst thing ever, apparently. <laughs> I just, I couldn't handle the kids. I, I did like some like job shadowing. And then, so I took a summer job at Pioneer and I worked in seed production and saw the agronomist and I was like, all right, I re this is kind of cool. So then I transferred majors or like switch majors. And then I did another year there, a year with Cargill scouting fields. And then I was with FS Seed in Bloomington. I was their like regional seed. Um, oh, I was their regional seed, uh, intern and so I had like the northern half of Illinois and southern part of Wisconsin and then outside of school I worked out I got a job with FS in Wisconsin and then I worked for another co-op um, and then 
after that kind of came about, I got a couple of customers that kind of turned me into pioneer and they're like, Hey, this guy, you should hire him. I was like, all right, well, so then I went out on my own and it's been kind of a nightmare. So <laughs> not really a nightmare. We'll just say it's been, it's been a learning experience. It's totally different. It's like, uh, if you were doing what you're doing and you decided to go into the co-op system, you'd be like, I don't know if I like this yet. It's right. Take me a little bit, but yeah, we were talking about that today. Um, it's just, it's like a 180 from what I'm used to. I'm used to fertilizer, chemical seed, and we're spraying and I'm running around with my head cut off to now I'm scouting fields and getting paid to do it. And then it's, I'm more on the grower side than I am on the company side when I start. Sure. Doing so it's, it's a totally different animal for me, but um, you know, it, we don't have a too different background except for I was in eighth grade when you graduated college. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make me feel old. Why don't you? Yeah, well, that's all right. My territory manager that was writing with me today is like five years younger than me. So and her boss is younger than her. So yeah, it's it's always like interesting when I, I remember coming out of school and I was the young kid who had to tell the older people what to do. And now I'm the older guy that has to get told what to do by the younger people. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It is. Um, it is. So I think your guys' weather has been somewhat similar to some of ours. Um, I think... I don't know if you're familiar with my territory. So I, I live right where I'm sitting is like 17 miles from Milwaukee. And then my farms are pretty much starting just west of my house. And then I go to almost about halfway to Madison. And then I go okay. from almost the state line to like a couple, three, four counties north. So like today I was 20 miles from the lake. Tomorrow I'll be 50 miles from the lake. And our weather patterns are, you know, if you took the state of Iowa this year and kind of looked at it, that would be like my territory. We, we seem to have one extreme to the other. So yes. like when the ratio came through you guys, my Southern half of my area got four inches of rain. And then my Northern half of my area got nothing. And they went into like drought conditions. And so I've got like awesome corn and crappy corn. <laughs> and then uh, yes, you go 10 miles and it's a totally different story. It goes right back to good corn again. So it's just, I think, Iowa west of you guys was like worse, right? This year it's, you get west. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as drought conditions go, for sure. Uh, once you got west of Interstate 35, you know, that central Des Moines area and, and just west of there in between Des Moines and Carroll. Yeah, those guys could not buy rain to save their lives. I mean, they started off dry early, so they, the planting got done really quick. And they got some decent rain early. And then once it turned off, you know, that end of July, we got some heat in there too. Um, and then August was completely dry. But yeah, for most of the growing season, there wasn't a lot of rain to be had out there in West Central Iowa. Yeah, it always seems like when we go out to Farm Progress, so I go out every year, it's in Boone. Yep. And we'll get on 80 and we get to Des Moines or whatever. Everybody's like, oh, you got to go to Southeast or Southeast Iowa because that's where the drought is. It's like every <laughs> year, you guys are the ones getting the drought. And this year, it seems like it was further west of you guys, but. Yeah, now I will say, I mean, they definitely got it worse than we did. But so, so my territory right now, a channel covers east central Iowa. So basically, I'm at the nose of Iowa. Um, and then I come over uh, to Johnson County, where Iowa City is at. And I kind of zigzag south and west over, you know, towards Ottumwa and, and kind of down towards the border. So I go all the way south uh, to the Missouri border there. And yeah, I mean, it was tough to buy a rain around here for a long time as well. Um, and when those dry patches started showing up at the end of July, uh, you know, the hilltops started burning up or turning yellow and at that time frame. And then, you know, we got that heat in uh, end of July, into August there where it turned off, man, they just burnt right up. Um, yeah, we, so we, were, we hung in there for a while. Um, kind of like I, I posted the podcast about weather uh, yesterday, which you jumped me to the gun on a little bit because I hadn't <laughs> even put it on social media. <laughs> But um, I was talking about the weather, and for a lot of my guys, they're like, why am I running on a nitrogen? I'm like, you haven't got rain for six weeks. I'm like, and then you got rain, but the damage is already done. And it's it's really hard to get guys to understand that. They always want to, like, point to something to blame. Did I not put enough nitrogen on? You know, did I should I use a stabilizer? Is there something wrong? Um, I mean, you, you kind of probably see that, too, because I, I run into that here all the time. No, absolutely. And it's funny when I, I'm, I've been following you for a while now. It's funny. And, and just a, a backstory here. 
uh, I didn't find out about you until it was probably a year or so ago. I was talking with my boss and I was having some uh, complications, I guess you'd say, talking with uh, some customers um, that were frustrated and, and it would run into those conversations. You would have the conversation around weather or fertility and guys just, you know, that's going to be your go-to answer. And they didn't want to hear it. You'd never say it was the hybrid, you know, that kind of stuff. And I just was kind of frustrated with dealing with that. And he recommended me to you because at the time you had put out a podcast dealing with difficult people and trying to address that. So that's when I picked up on it. And ever since then, it seems like there has been a podcast where I've probably got some uh, issues like that rattling around in my head and you've already, and you cover them. So the when you put out the one uh, the other day or yesterday, whatever it was, on the, the weather information, that was spot on because those are the conversations I'm having right now with guys too. You know, everything turned off dry and yeah, now everything's burnt up. So what do I do? Or, you know, how come the hybrid didn't handle 140 mile an hour winds? Or how come it's not standing? You know, some of the things you would think would be more uh, common sense type things are the most difficult ones to have a conversation about with guys. Um, you know, I think you know, we, we always hope that there's a, a black or a white answer and there's so much gray with agriculture anymore that, uh, those are tougher conversations to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, we talked about this. Um, I, I talked, I think I talked about it with Angie. Um, I got a guy that was like, I'm going to buy, I think I want to buy some stuff from this guy from a different, like from a co-op and it really doesn't affect me. I'm like, I don't care what you want to do. And he's just like, well, that guy just tells me how great my rows are and how, how straight I plant. And I'm like, dude, you use auto steer. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's just like, well, he just keeps telling me how good a job I do. And I'm like, that's not the job. I'm like, you can buy from that guy, whatever you want to do. But I'm like, the job is to tell you ways you can improve. And I, so I work with one of my consulting clients and um, we sat down, we went through all the stuff that went, went on this year. And uh, I, when I left, you know, as I was leaving, we were just kind of wrapping up and I'm like, all right, so we have a lot of things we need to work on for next year. And the comment I got back from them later was that they were surprised that I was like, I wasn't just telling them everything was great and everything was good. He's like, there's actually stuff we can work on. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's the way it should always be. You should always have something Absolutely. to work on. But they're so used to, they're big enough that all the salespeople that pull in the yard are just like, you're doing everything great. This is awesome. You're perfect. And I'm always like, let's look for the things that we can work on to improve for next year. Cause not everything's perfect here. And then nobody's perfect. I, I don't do everything perfect. And that's the whole thing. I was like, let's work on some stuff. And they appreciated that, which is funny because I'm sure all the other sales guys are like, Oh, you know, they, they were so happy that I told them blew a bunch of smoke up their butt. And, <laughs> and it's just, it's the opposite of what a lot of people think. I think a lot of guys are looking for answers and what they're they could be doing or what they could be improving on um and a lot of people aren't are afraid to do that and maybe it's generational a little bit too i think we've got a lot of younger salespeople that are afraid to you know stick their neck out and make recommendations and you know me i'm like i really don't care my reputation kind of precedes me i've been here long enough that they know what i'm all about so i think that's one thing too it's just i think a lot of people are afraid to do that I don't know what your experience is, but it's it's always hard for other people, it seems like, to tell guys what they're doing wrong or what they thought could be wrong. No, I, I, would, I would agree with you on that. It, it is a tough conversation to have. And when you're talking, you know, bottom lines that are thinner than thinner and thinner anymore, um, guys uh, generally look at those spends as an expense. They they it's hard to look at those as a return on investment. So when I'm having a conversation with customers, I try to go down that road because the first thing that will come up, say, I mean, just for instance, you know, fungicide application. Well, fungicide has never worked. Well, have you ever put a strip trial out there or, or just left a couple of strips alone or would you be willing to do that? No, no, no. It just costs money. Well, you know, yeah, the upfront cost is there. Yes. But, you know, it, it takes trying it once or twice or in a couple of different fields to really understand was that an expense or was that a return? You know, am I getting a return on investment? You know, and um, it, it's interesting having those conversations because there are guys that are just willing to do that because they understand return on investment and other guys are just trying to get, get through and don't want to spend any more money. So um, definitely tough conversations depending on where you're at. And this year was, was tougher than most. 
I think a lot of what so I tweeted last night about the the Chevys. Did you see that tweet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got guys that I guess maybe need to hear that sometimes. We so I, I used to sell for a co-op and the, our co-op brands were DeKalb Masgro and then depending which one I had, it was either FS or Cropland. And we always had NK. Um, not saying that NK corn is terrible, but at least it is here. Um, every time I sold somebody NK corn, we lost business the next year. It was just like, and it was the cheaper stuff, but it was always like, even in our plots, it was like 20 bushel off the pace. And I got to the point where I'm like, I can't even sell the stuff. I'm like, I know I could sell more if I went with this and they like throw program money at like crazy. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I could sell a whole bunch of this stuff, but next year my seals are going to suffer because those guys that bought it aren't going to buy it from me again, just because it was the cheapest stuff I had. And then I'm, I likened it to a Chevy pickup. You could buy a new Chevy for 1500 or 23 grand, but you're going to get a half ton work truck, you know, and, they're really expecting a three-quarter ton Chevy, you know, and right. the cab full options. You know, those are sixty, seventy thousand dollar trucks. And I think it's everybody has cheap seed. I mean, we yep. I got cheap seed, channel does too. I mean, I got guys that grow some channel uh, that I consult for, and it's the same thing. They got an older hybrid that actually does well. Um, but then there's some other things that I mean, every seed company's got a hybrid that's got issues that's really cheap on our price sheet, and we could sell it to them, but you know, when you get it, you're not going to be happy. And it's like, you know, either that or they're just expecting the worst and they kind of hope for it. But I mean, it just, it seems like some guys just don't think about it on a a program basis. And even we were talking to guys about enlist. um, And I've got guys that are looking at it as the enlist beans are cheaper. I don't know if you guys, what you guys run into for pricing on enlist beans sometimes, but sometimes we see really, really cheap, prices thrown out for enlist beans and I'm like you guys got to look at the program it's not like you're gonna have enlist beans and you're gonna spray enlist beans with roundup and enlist and all your problems are gonna go away you're still gonna have to put a pre on I want a residual with it if anything your chemical costs are gonna be higher but your seed costs might be cheaper but at the same time we're still gonna have to spray all this other stuff we're already spraying on our extend beans and I'm like it's it's not don't buy the program because the the seed is cheap look at the whole program as a whole and try to figure out what you want to do and i mean you've got guys with weed issues and they need enlist i mean that's that's the way it is i mean you guys are going to potentially have extend flex but i mean it's it's a thing where guys don't look at the whole thing they're not looking at the whole picture we're looking at just what's the cheapest beans i can get and even if they're getting cheap beans they get you know there's companies here that are like whatever price and they're enlist beans and they're like, well, what variety is it? You're getting enlist beans for this price. And it's like <laughs> no variety. It's just, and I mean, we sell enlist too and I sell enlist and it's, it's not that way. We, you know, we have a lot of data behind it. We know which varieties we're looking at, but at the same time I'm running into guys that are just like, I'm buying enlist beans. What are you buying? I don't know, but they cost this much. <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's kind of a, Thing where we can't get guys to look at the whole program and you know you got to look at am i giving up something to get a cheaper price on it and it's not always the case but it's often the case yeah no i would agree with you and that's that's probably where it's the toughest for guys like you and i that are agronomists because you want to make sure that, that that's our job to make sure that they understand not only the products and where to place them but everything that goes with that you know, and understanding the whole big picture. Um, Cause it's easy to get narrow focused when it comes down to dollars, but dollars and other dollars add up. And uh, you know, like you say, you might get that, uh, that cheap Chevy right up front. You might get that price, but uh, you're definitely not getting, you know, the heavy duty package to come with it. So that's where we have to kind of jump in there with guys and make sure that they understand the whole situation. And uh, you know, what are they looking for? We need to make sure that they understand that too. And, and what do they plan on doing, you know, even next season and the season after that, what's going to happen or, or, you know, rotations and things like that. That's where it's, it's tough on us. Um, we've got to get out there and, and do our due diligence and make sure they understand the whole process. Yeah. It'd be like buying a combine sight unseen, no pictures and somebody just telling you it's a good combine. And uh, there's a lot of guys who wouldn't spend $2,000 <laughs> on a combine just without looking at it or knowing something about it. And yep. Yeah, it just that's something that happens, but 
Uh, so we talked about the dough ratio before we got on, but you guys, yeah. so you saw some of it. I mean, we didn't, by the time it got, my weather radio was going nuts that day, but by the time it got here, we got nothing. It just sideswiped us a little bit and we just got rain bands out of it. Man, consider yourself lucky. Um, the Northern couple of counties, even, you know, Northern counties in my territory. Uh, so East central Iowa, you know, Lynn County, Jones County, uh, down to Clarence, uh, and Cedar County. So the nose of Iowa, you know, it went straight through the central part of Iowa. Um, and it came through fast. So, I've got guys that really took a hit, um, not only with their crops, you know, completely flat on the ground, but their grain storage as well. And man, there are just some farmsteads that do not look anything like they did before. Um, it's, it's amazing how, you know, usually when you get a thunderstorm going through, it's here, it's gone in, you know, 15, 20 minutes maybe. And this was like 35 minutes straight of anywhere from 60 to, you know, when you get up to Cedar Rapids way, uh, 120, 130 mile an hour winds just on and off for, you know, 30 to 45 minutes. It was just incredible. Um, we were fortunate enough to not be in the direct line of fire uh, where I live, but around this area, my wife and I took a drive around after that was all done and we got the yard picked up and winds cleaned up and everything else. But uh, it was just a variable mix. Um, you know, we talked about the drought earlier. We had drought stress already going on. Um, those parts of the fields really took it the most. They were already weak, so they went flat. Um, and you just have, right now you've got a mix of everything. You've got drought stress chunks, you've got flat fields, you've got stuff with everything in between, kind of all mixed up together. Um, northern part, uh, like I said, you know, East Central Iowa really took it the worst. And um, it, it, it's a tough situation. So there, there are guys that have already, um, in fact, just the other day, I talked to a, a guy who had 240 acres zeroed out just within the past, you know, three days here. So he was getting disc out or a vertical uh, tillage tool to try and get things chopped up, get it mixed up so he can start, you know, disking that field up and starting over. Um, just, it's just amazing. Um, you know, we go through all this work of, you know, getting things planted on time. You know, we, we put all these money in, all this money into inputs and uh, just to have something like that come through and in one shot at the wrong time, just uh, completely upend everything. It's just really uh, uh, just frustrating, um, you know, for guys. So a lot of guys are, you know, they're ready to move on, obviously, from 2020 and get started on this fall. And the weather's been decent enough for that. Harvest is getting started around here. We've got a few guys that have taken some early beans out. I've seen a little, little bit of corn come out uh, anywhere from, well, as low as 22% up to around 27% for moisture right now. Uh, we're still probably, you know, another good 10 days or so uh, from things really kind of ramping up around here. I'm sure there'll be there'll be guys going. Um, and there's guys that are going to have to get going just because I think stock quality and stock integrity is not going to be what we thought it was. Um, even in good fields, I think that it's going to be, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to need a good weather pattern from here on out to get things dry enough and get it out of the field quick. So what I'm hearing you say is channel also went down, not just pioneer. <laughs> that was, the it, rumor it was not brand specific. I'll tell you that. Uh, One I mean, guy. Uh, uh, one guy on Twitter post, he said that um, he was listening to the radio and he's, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what brand of seed it was. I, did, I didn't look, um, but he was, said he was listening to the radio and they were talking about uh, in town, the gas station had the roof blown off and all this damage that's in town. And he gets a phone call from one of the seed customers and seed customers like, I'm really upset about your corn because your corn went down. <laughs> he's like, what am I supposed to do with the town's like blown away? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, there, in a few cases, on the, especially on the fringe areas of where the derecho came through, there, there were some product differences. And, it, you know, I don't know what brands those particular fields were. Yeah. I didn't get a call on them specifically. But, you know, you'll have that. And depending on time and, and growing, part of the growing season, you'll have that. But, uh, yeah, not too many calls come from the east central part of the state after that big win. So guys pretty much knew that, yeah. It was not brand specific for sure. Yeah, I mean, you get a hundred mile an hour plus winds for thirty minutes. Not it. It's not the hybrid. It's it's just the wind. It, that's yep. the same thing. We we could talk about that in the weather thing. It's the same thing. It's just like when you tell guys it's just the weather, they're like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> it's just 
You know, you brought up a great point uh, in that podcast too, though, you know, talking about specific weather events. And I, I think I tweeted back to you or yep. maybe just in a response, you know, I write those things down just because even, um, even at my middle age, you know, it's tough to remember everything. And uh, we've had so many different events this year that, um, you know, it's tough to go back and try and remember what happened in April and May. And, you know, there was a frost around Mother's Day. And in Northeast Iowa, they had that frost twice, you know, two different days in May when beans were just coming up out of the ground after they'd sat there for three weeks. So weather plays such a key role that it's, it's, uh, it's really good to pay attention to it, not only for, you know, planting conditions, harvest conditions and all that stuff, fertilizer, whatever, but uh, just to understand the growth stage of the crop and how that impacted that crop's growth stage. You know, yeah, using nice. rows around, rows long, um, all that stuff. That's very important. And I think it's, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because without writing those things down, there's probably half a dozen things that happened this year outside of the duration that would have impacted yield a little bit. Yeah, and I, I mean, you guys had a frost in May. We had mm -hmm. 24 degrees here in town. Ooh. Two nights in a row, we were in the mid-20s in the middle of May. And luckily for us, most of the stuff wasn't out of the ground yet. But, right. you know, it, we had really uneven emergence. We just, we had a lot of issues. And we see them. We saw them early. And a lot of guys are, like, looking at their corn in June and July. And they're like, oh, it's the best-looking corn I've ever seen from the road at 55 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we start looking at year counts, they're like, why am I missing, you know, 5,000 plants? I'm like, April and May. And they're like, what? What's wrong with the seed? Was there something? With I'm like, no, it was, you know, we can name all the seedling diseases, all the other stuff. I'm like, it just, they just never materialized. And it's something, I think a lot of our issues up here were vigor issues. So yeah, that's what we talked about or what I sent you an email about was, you know, 2020 to me has been like a humbling year because I had you know, a few thousand acres that were prevent plant last year. And I was looking last night, I've got a field that's pretty weedy now uh, in a cornfield. And um, I scouted it at V6, V7. And I got pictures perfectly clean. And the guy's like, well, what happened between then and now? And I'm like, you had prevent plant, you had a huge weed, you know, we, we sprayed it, we worked it, but you still had weeds out here last year and they did go to seed. And, you know, one water hemp's got 2 million seeds on it. You're going to have 2 million plants out here. And, you know, when the residual wears off, those are still going to come up. And lots of fall panicum and foxtail and just all kinds of weird stuff. Yep. And, yeah, it's just, it's been a year where you look at a field, and I've talked about this a couple times, I look at a field one week and we come back two weeks later and it's like, what happened? You know, it just, we had residuals not working right. Um, I've had just all kinds of random weird things this year. And it's a lot of it's weather related and crop history related. And it's, it's going to be a tough fall for some guys when they get into fields. Cause they're going to be like, where did all this come from? I mean, from right. 55 miles an hour, there's no ragweed poking out of the canopy. So it's going to look just fine. But when we actually get in with a combine, I think we're going to find out there's a lot more stuff out there. No, I would agree with you. That uneven emergence was really huge this year. You know, we had, we had great conditions to get started with planting and guys went and they just continued to go. You know, they had spent two previous seasons trying to get things in in a two day window and spread that out through a couple of months, you know, in 2019 and even 2018. And uh, this year everybody went, but again, cool conditions in the spring. We, we set some plants back, some too far back. And uh, like you say, that 55 mile an hour view is great, but uh, you could tell when tassels started coming out, there was going to be some delay in some of those plants and it just wasn't going to be as pretty as what, you know, maybe the outside rows look like. I had one guy call me the other night and he goes, he's like, I got to figure out what's going on. I got to, I got to do something with cover crops more. And I said, well, why, why do you want to do more with cover crops? Well, this field had clover on it and that's my best field. And I said, well, when did you plant that? And he said, well, that was May 15th. So it was right after the freeze we had the middle of May. Yeah. And the other stuff was planted into cooler soil conditions. Uh, I would say it was just a little less than ideal. And I'm like, everything planted after that event actually looks like some of our best corn. My best looking corn I got now that I've walked was like May 20th planted. And I'm wow. like telling the guy, I'm like, you got to, I know the clover or whatever was in there, but it might actually just be that you plant it later. And he's like, well, later plant is never as good. I'm like, 
Uh, I remember 2012. <laughs> the later <laughs> plant in 2012, we had replant out yield the first plant by like 50 bushel in 2012. Yep. Like it just depended on when it tasseled that year. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, the weather affected that. And then it's, it's just interesting. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on cover crops are. I'm always kind of guarded because I got some guys that are like, I, you can't farm without them. Um, to me, and I think a, quite a few of the guys that do cover crops, it, the minute that they lost money doing it, I don't think they'd do it again. And, you know, yeah. it's just, it's one of those things where we're almost too far north for cover crops. The only place it really, really works well is after wheat. Uh, when we get corn off in November, it's, you plant rye and it comes up in spring. Um, we get soybeans off, you might get a little bit of growth, but it, it's really difficult for us to get cover crops established up here. But I mean, I'm from Indiana and those guys are like number one in cover crop use. And I mean, it, it, it just makes sense for them. For us, it, it's harder. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, there are definitely guys around here that do it. Um, it is easier for us to get those things established. But again, we run into those things, to, you know, too, trying to get a kill uh, when things turn off cool. And boy, I've sprayed my Roundup. How come this stuff isn't dying yet? You know, and Roundup is a little slow anyway to kill those. Well, you turn off to like 50 degrees for four or five days. And it, you know, if you waited too long and that cover crop's super tall, uh, it's really tough to, to get a good kill on that. But uh, I will say there are guys that have been successful and uh and and continue to just you know power through those types of things and and i i think there's a, a place for those you bet yeah I, I mean i get the soil benefits um i there there's a lot of different benefits to them i want to make them work but it's it's kind of hard to get guys to it's a different management change for a lot of people yes i think a lot of guys are looking at it as you know we got some guys planting green um some of the issue i have with that up here is the fact that the tractor can run through without leaving ruts makes it feel like it's drier than it is. And we're not closing trenches and we're running to slabbing up uh, seed slots. And it's, it's an issue sometimes. And we have to kind of like call these guys back like, hold on, you know, it's still too wet. It might be able to carry the tractor, but it doesn't mean that you can just go and do whatever you want when you right. cover crops. But yeah. Um, I don't know. How's your 2020 been? Has it been like mine where you're just like, ugh? Like I, I want it to be over. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I try to be a glasses half full guy as much as I can. Yep. Um, this has definitely been one of the most challenging years, you know, just in the seed business in general, it's been tough, but, uh, we've had everything thrown at us that we could, um, I, I'm waiting for it to get done, but I just hope we can kind of end on, on some sort of positive note. You know, just looking, uh, was it a couple of plots yesterday that had been uh, hit by derecho and hail? Um, you know, some some stocks down, obviously, but I mean, the grain fill is there. The ears are nice. If we can get out there and get those things harvested in a good time, I, I think there's a lot of yield out there yet to be had, especially in areas where guys may have written off some fields. Um, you know, obviously the flat ones are flat. There's not much you can do about that at all. Hopefully that stuff germinates. Um, you know, talking about weather, we need uh, that, that stuff to germinate so we can get rid of most of that volunteer corn that's going to be around. Um, but I, I, I still have this feeling that, you know, guys are going to be surprised at what they go out and get. I mean, I know there's going to be fields where it's 50 bushel corn and 250 bushel corn within the same same pass maybe. Um, so we're going to have that, but I, I do think there's a solid crop out there. And I think a lot of guys just, uh, are crossing their fingers too, that, that they can get through it, get this thing done and, and start looking forward to 2021. Yeah. And I, I, my, uh, some of my silage guys that have been getting into the South said that best silage they've ever had. Um, so I think we got some really good corn in areas. Um, some areas are going to be a little tougher on corn, but that rain we got, uh, we got a rain about. Oh, three weeks ago yeah that really saved our bean crop so we got i got some guys that have a really good bean crop they're going to have probably a break-even corn crop with the way the prices are they're actually their break-evens gotten to the point where they probably will break even on corn but i'm like you guys might be making bank on soybeans because i i do um i do some cost analysis for a lot of guys and i mean our our input costs on soybeans are break even at their normal yields or it's like in the sevens like if you're making two bucks a bushel on soybeans, you guys are doing something awesome. 
Yeah. So we might make, you know, 150 bucks an acre, 120 bucks an acre on some soybeans and break even on corn. But in a year where we were going in, you know, three months ago, thinking we'll be lucky if we break even this year, those guys are, they should be happy, but they're still, still kind of a little nervous about it. Yeah. And but, you, you talked about, you got the rain on the soybeans. We missed out on most of those. Um, I, I think we lost the top end to our soybean crop. I still think there's a good crop out there, um, but it's probably going to be more on the average side versus above average. Yeah, and I, I think I'm going to have some guys, we had after the last couple of years, guys went with some early maturity soybeans. Those guys are going to get hurt because those were pretty much getting ready to churn at that point when we got yes. the rain. Um, the guys I have, we went, actually maybe even a little longer because we planted earlier. Um, and those beans are dropping leaves, but a lot of them are still fairly green now even. Um, they might be a little upset when their neighbors go on combining, but I think their yield potential is going to be a lot higher. So mm -hmm. it just, it's, it's been one of those years where it's, you know, you got COVID in spring and yeah, I mean, it just. Oh yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> and then for us, um, so I, I help a guy farm. Um, and it's not like I'm there every day, but I help when I can. And literally he had an accident and I had to plant corn this year. <laughs> it just, so I had that COVID that happened. And then just the weather this year, it's been, uh, it seems like mother nature just never wants to stop. We, we found Southern rust up here now, which we've never had before. Wow. That's, and, uh, that's crazy. And then we have uh, black tar spot just started going crazy in the last two weeks up here. Just that weather we had last week where it rained for like six, seven days straight. Yep. And I got, I got some beer genetics around us. That's not looking so good right now, but uh, <laughs> no, it just tar spot came in really late. Um, I got a lot of guys worried about yield effects and I'm like, nah, you know, we're, we're a week from black layer. I don't worry about that, but I'm worried about sustainability. And I think the same thing you're kind of talking, we've got, hills and stuff and and one guy is like well how do i get that hill off and i'm like well if you want to get that hill off at 20 percent, you're going to be combining 30 percent to get to it you know and just what do we do with that and it's it's going to be some management issues as we go into harvest um our situation is always probably even a little different than you i know illinois um corn comes off and then beans come off here beans come off and then when everybody finishes beans then we go do corn because that's when it's like 20 percent and I mean, we'll be, if we get done before November, we're pretty lucky usually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, harvest is going to be such a ball of wax this year. Um, there will be a lot of switching going on. If guys don't have, uh, you know, two heads ready to go or two combines ready to roll. I mean, it, it it's going to be a crapshoot almost every day, I think, but you're, you're spot on with getting that corn crop out early. And I have that conversation every fall as well. Um, it's nice to wait for um you know field drying to help out with that but i don't think this is the year to really try and do that and i think just with drought and everything else that's going on the sooner we can get that stuff out um the better that grain quality is going to be and the more bushels you're actually going to have in the hopper versus uh, trying to get up off the ground yeah we were walking uh, i had a plot tour a couple of days ago and all the years are fairly upright in most fields yet yep ear molds are starting and it's like, all right, yeah, once they start and it gets cool at all, we're going to start seeing a lot more of these show up. And I had a guy last year with a bin that almost got zeroed out because it had vomitoxin so bad. Mm. So, yeah, it's it can be an issue for us, especially when we start seeing tar spots show up. For whatever reason, tar spot seems to bring with it bomb. And it's not the tar mm. spot causing the bomb, um, but we are seeing – I guess the hybrids that have more tar spots seem to have a higher bomb for us. So and maybe that's just something like your thing, but that's something we've seen the last few years. Yeah, no. And, and the ear mold thing you brought up, that's, that's another thing too, that helps me uh, talk with guys to try and work through harvest a little quicker too. you know, plant stress. I mean, those things are opportunistic. They're going to come in, do some damage and make what good grain you have there. Not so good. So uh, yeah, just a, just another factor to put on the map for 2020. Um, all right. So I had one thing on here and I, I, if I interview agronomists, I'm always going to ask this one too, for sure. But what relative maturity corn and soybeans do you guys plant down that way? Oh, we got it all. I mean, so 
my territory here, I've got guys that'll go from 102 in my northern territory, as far south, we'll go 117 day. Okay. Yeah. And our, our corn here is anything from 92 day to 100 and I got 113 day for silage. There you go. So I got to know the lineup from 92 day corn to 113, yes. 114. And then soybeans, we're 1.8 up to 2.5, 2.8s. And that's all we plant. I go from I, a few 1.8s, uh, but mostly 2.0s in the northern part of the territory, all the way down to actually um, along the border in southern Iowa, I've got guys that will plant 4.1s and even 4.3s. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I grew, yeah. I grew up in an area where we didn't plant anything under a 3, so it was just like <laughs> coming up here is like, what's, what's a one point whatever soybean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, this stuff. And then I've got... I don't know how Iowa State is. When I was at Purdue, they did um, our forage part of our like learning in school was like, here's what alfalfa looks like pretty much. So then I come to Wisconsin and it's like, all right, well, I got like 20% of my stuff is alfalfa and I got wheat and barley and oats and all this other stuff for feed that I never saw before. You are in an interesting area out there, that's for sure. Uh, it would be fun to do a field trip up there just to see all of the different crops you have to deal with. And I'm the same way. Alfalfa, you know, I <clears throat> I get into that quite a bit. I uh, used to get into it much more when I was in the northeastern part of the state covering that part. Um, but uh, still deal with it, just not as much. And, and definitely don't have, uh, I don't have the wheat. I don't have all of those other specialty crops you have. So that's one up you got on me. Yeah, I think we did. Uh, when I worked in Cargill in Indiana, we had 25,000 acres of consulting and five acres of alfalfa was in that. <laughs> that was <laughs> So I had anything from non-GMO food-grade soybeans to waxy corn to high amylase corn to popcorn to seed corn to sweet corn. I mean, it was just nuts. And we had tomatoes, wow. potatoes, onions. Uh, you get in that northwest part of Indiana, and it's it's a pretty big vegetable growing area, which a lot of people don't really realize. but um, so is it heaven out there or <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, actually I do like going to Iowa. We go, I try to go at least every couple of years and we actually, my wife who's from like Chicago area, which everybody swears at her before she had no Wisconsin plate, but, um, she, she does like going out to Iowa, which is funny that we go out for vacation sometimes. So we try to hit Dyersville and, uh, yeah. we'll stay in Des Moines. Um, really like Johnny's Italian Steakhouse in uh, Davenport. Good and call there. There's actually one. We didn't realize it. There's one up uh, just north of Madison up here too. So, and then uh, we'll give you the Indiana question. You you'll like this one. <laughs> so when my relatives come up from Indiana to Wisconsin, they're always like, "Where's the nearest Walmart?" So apparently in Indiana, they judge how close you are, or how big of a city you live in by how close the nearest Walmart is. So how close is your nearest Walmart? My nearest Walmart is probably 15 miles or so. Okay. You got to get on the south side of Iowa City uh, or even the north side of Coralville. Uh, so yeah, 12 to 15 miles. Sure. And my nearest one is about two miles from my house. So Two, huh? <laughs> I've got a Menards half a mile from my house, a Home Depot half a mile from my house, uh, Blaine's Farm and Fleet, half a mile from my house. I mean, I live right on the edge of the suburbs of Milwaukee. Wow. So, yeah, it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Well, if you're into hobbies and projects, I think the, uh, the Menards and the, the Home Depot type stuff, that, that's yeah. probably a good one to have real close. I do it's, wish I had a couple of those a little closer, but, uh, yeah. It's, it's nice, but at the same time, I miss being out in the country. And that's, I think, our ultimate goal eventually is move kind of more towards where my area is. But the struggle I have is no matter where I move, I'm either moving further away from one or the other. So it kind of sucks. We're trying to figure that out. But I don't know. What do you got for me? Any questions for me? You know, I, no, not really. Um, I, I, I can't think of any specific. I'm just glad we can actually have a conversation. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, I think it's funny that people think that, uh, you know, we're just total arch enemies and, and, you know, don't even talk to each other. And uh, really, it's not that way at all. I'm just glad we can have a conversation that, uh, you know, there's no, uh, 
I guess the brand gloves are off as far as that goes. It's nice to have a good agronomic conversation and just understand what areas are, what's happening in what areas and what's going on and, and how we can impact the customers and make them, uh, you know, the most successful we can. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I don't think that there's that. It's funny when I talk to somebody from Pioneer, I'm like, oh, I'm talking to a channel guy this afternoon. What? Why? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're like friends on Twitter, I guess. So. So, yeah. so truth be told, I actually told my wife this morning, she's like, you know, what do you got on your calendar? Oh, I've got some phone calls, you know, this morning and get some things taken care of in the office. And oh, and by the way, I'm talking to uh, Kyle Stahl from Stahl Agronomy this afternoon. She's like, oh, that's that's great. So yeah, he's a pioneer dealer, or, you know, sells pioneer seed, deals with pioneer. He's like, she's like, is that okay? Are you going to get in trouble? She was really worried. And I said, no. I think we'll be fine. I, I don't think there's going to be anything, you know, uh, that's going to affect either company that's going to come up in this conversation. Yeah. And I, I mean, we, the whole point is never like I've had salespeople throw other companies under the bus and that's like the last thing you want to do with a customer. Right. It's just like, it doesn't help anybody. And then the next time when your stuff sucks, the guy's going to be like, you know, just what the hell's your problem? Yep. I mean, it just, it doesn't gain anybody anything when you're throwing everybody else under the bus and, I mean, we all work together. I mean, I worked with a guy at a co-op and now he's a channel dealer and I know guys that are pioneer dealers and, and we're all kind of know each other. When I first moved up here, it was like the weirdest thing to deal with people at other companies. And they're like, oh yeah, I'll go ask my buddy. He works for this other co-op. I'm like, can you even do that? <laughs> and the guy's like, oh yeah, why not? <laughs> but we no, all it's a small time. world when it comes to, uh, agriculture and the seed business and that type of stuff. And it, and it is kind of nice um, just to make new friends, meet new, uh, new partners and uh, you know, just have those conversations. Those are good guys to lean on. Yeah. And I think I, I got to talk, talk a little bit about this at some point, but we're hopefully I might try to get like a peer group together. Um, and the whole point of doing it would be to get guys that aren't in the same area. So we don't have people that are like, well, my, you know, we're complaining about potash pricing or something and somebody from a co-op adjacent to another guy is like, well, that guy's the one screwing me over. <laughs> but I think at some point it would be nice to do something like that. I think we all kind of deal with the same things, but different things at the same time. Um, I have different ways to deal with things or how I work with my guys on stuff. Um, I, it's always interesting to hear how other people work with customers. Um, it's funny that you like the podcast so much because I don't really, I don't get a lot of feedback to be honest. Um, we, I see how many people listen to it. Um, I don't know, you've probably heard me mention it on here a couple times. Um, my biggest cities are like Mountain View, California, which is FBN's headquarters. So, wow. and then the second one is Chicago. And then when you look at the other cities, it's all like the regional headquarters for like a pioneer and everybody else. So like all the people at the companies must listen to me, but no one ever says anything about it. <laughs> like that's the rogue agronomist. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I've had uh, Shane agronomy. You ever see Shane agronomy on Twitter? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Okay. That's one guy you probably should look at if you're looking okay. for to help you with stuff for cause Shane agronomy posts like, um, oh, he posts like a daily article and stuff. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, he had me on his like list of influencing podcasts and I was like number six on the list. And I'm like, how the heck did I get on his list? I'm like, I didn't even know that. And um, I, he said, I talk about a lot of subjects that other people don't talk about. And I mean, to me, when I started this, I thought it was like, I wasn't going to make it an agronomy only podcast, you know, where we talk about just the weather, how it affects crops, or we talk about emergence or, I mean, I had one of those when I worked at a co-op. This was going to be, since I don't have to answer really to anybody, I was like, this is going to be more of, a, you know, experiences with this or experiences with that and dealing with employees. And I think I had a lot of good, positive things that happened in my career before I got to this point. And I'm like, I know I can help people deal with some of the stuff I dealt with. Um, kind of like being the young guy that has to tell a bunch of old people what to do <laughs> Yeah, or older people who just won't call them old, but they were like in their sixties and seventies. But, um, I think that's what my goal has been with this and hopefully it seems like it's been working, but I think a lot of people listen to it. I've, um, in two years, it's like 7,000 plays. Great. And 
I heard a company, a very large company, say they had like 50,000 and they were like, oh, this is great. We had 50,000 plays. And I'm like, my podcast cost me like $300 total. And I'm just like a one guy operation. I record it all myself. It's in my house. And I have like 7,000. I'm like, geez, apparently I'm doing something right. So. No, and you are. And, and that's, that's really what drew me into, you know, there's a lot of information out there that, you know, a, a person could get really lost depending on, on, uh, you know, what they were looking for, what kind of content they want to get out of it. There are some agronomy specific podcasts out there that I do listen to, but it is nice to do, or to at least know that there's one out there that, uh, that deals with everything else. And you're one that actually deals with those personnel issues or has had to deal with those or yeah. is coming across, you know, customer, uh, customer issues and working through those it's more than just the uh, the agronomic piece and i think that just kind of rounds out everything else that i'm looking forward to so i'm glad you're doing it and uh, keep doing what you're doing yeah no it's um it's been interesting it's a it's a totally different animal i'm just like how am i going to get something out of this so we got to start figuring this out at some point i definitely want to you know you've got a lot of equipment there i'm always curious <laughs> as to how those things work and what you know what it takes to get one going yeah, um, really, not that I want to start one on my own, but uh, just seeing all that it, stuff there. It's pretty easy, actually. I, I So I worked at a co-op and we did our own podcast and I did it for like a couple hundred bucks and they were just like, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, but we have really crappy stuff. I'm like, can I buy a nicer mic? <laughs> well, I don't know. We really like the podcast, but 50 bucks for a microphone. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I have to try to, I'm going to really science the crap out of this to make this sound good. But no, it's, it's actually, this is really easy. And then doing it over zoom, um, has made it easier. I mean, the funny thing is everybody's got such an experience with zoom because of COVID and it made it a lot. Yeah. So nobody's really afraid to hop on zoom like they used to be. Everybody's like, you know, it was kind of a, like, I don't want my video on just turn that off. And now it's gone to like zoom is what everybody does. So, and you got the weird channel background and <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can even switch that to anything else at this point. So maybe for the, maybe next time I'll try, I'll see if I can come up with something different. Oh, and I got the stall seed sign behind me. So I see that that's pretty neat. Yeah. There was actually a stall hybrids back in the fifties through like the seventies in Kentucky, no relation, but I've got like some bag signs. Um, so I, I get people that are like, is that like your family? I'm like, no, no it's just, <laughs> it's just cool. Cause it's got my name on it. And it's kind of a somewhat rare last name. So, but, um, well, anyway, cool. um, yeah, it sounds like, I think you had to get going at five anyway, and I'm going to probably go see my wife cause it's Friday and it's probably my last Friday before we get going on harvest and soil sampling. And there's a lot of stuff going to have to happen in the next like two months to get stuff done. So is the season. Yep. We're going to get really, really busy, really, really quick. So. I figured I'd record this now and then uh, we'll post it in a week or so and hopefully we'll be busy by then and everybody else can listen to you talk about stuff. So awesome. All right. Well, thanks Jeremy. Kyle, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Anytime. All right. Thank you.